On today's Saints Alive broadcast, I am joined by Ken Krause, and we are going to talk about uh, Memorial Day, but framing it and talking about some of his life journey and being a member of our church and things that he did in service to the country. I uh, just thought that that would be good fodder for our conversation um, around this time of year of remembering people. And Ken, let me ask you first, what branch of service did you serve in? Air Force. And how old were you when you started serving in the Air Force? Uh, well, I went to the academy when I was 18, right out of high school, and uh, spent four years there, and then went right into the Air Force active duty, and then spent the next 29 years banging around here and there. And what time frame then? What years would that cover? I uh, graduated from the academy in 65, and I uh, retired in 94. Okay. So you were definitely serving in times of conflict <laughs> that our nation... Yeah. Of course, the Vietnam War was uh, uh, just beginning when I graduated. Uh, started in 1961 or so and, and was ramping up pretty significantly in 65 when I went over there. And I went to... Uh, Thailand. Uh, I flew out of Thailand during the war, uh, not in country in Vietnam, but uh, flew over the north and over Laos uh, for uh, all but one of my missions. And tell me about a mission. When you were sent out, like how long would you be gone? Uh, it depends on the type of mission. The uh, um, the missions to the uh, to North Vietnam were uh, real armadas, if you will, um, probably 60 airplanes altogether, uh, including uh, probably four flights of four uh, fighters, uh, bombers, and uh, two flights of uh, combat air patrol, which were the uh, anti-air uh, escorts for the bombers, and then a variety of uh, search and rescue helicopters and airplanes uh, and uh, early warning aircraft, too. Uh, we just started having uh, early warning aircraft in the old C-121 Constellation platform. Uh, and then we had what we called Iron Hand. They were uh, Usually there were uh, at least a flight of four, sometimes two flights of four of uh, uh, anti-aircraft uh, uh, aircraft. Uh, they, they countered the uh, surface-to-air missiles and the uh, um, ground-fired artillery, anti-aircraft artillery. So uh, putting it all together, and then, of course, the tankers, who we had to uh, use to refuel going back and forth. And uh, there were usually uh, s um, four to six of those, depending on the size of the, the armada. Hmm. And, uh, and which kind of aircraft were, were you I on? was flying the F-4, uh, Phantom II, and uh, there were also, usually the bombers were F-105s, uh, out of Thailand, and uh, and then a variety of other aircraft for for escort and and AAA suppression and so on. Mm -hmm. Did you have any idea when you went to the academy that that is what you would be doing? Didn't even know I'd be flying. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as a, a young person growing up, was that something in your dreams at all? I, uh, I collected uh, model aircraft and pictures of aircraft um, throughout my childhood, mm-hmm. uh, never thinking that I'd ever fly one, but I just like to collect pictures of them and build models. Sure. So what happened then in your training? How did you get put into that position of flying? Well, we had a choice uh, upon graduation of what uh, what career path we wanted to take, and I chose uh, uh, flying and mm-hmm. was fortunate enough to get into the F-4 program, um, which was highly desirable. So uh, probably my sophomore year, I decided that I wanted to try to fly, and uh, it worked out that I could. <laughs> what was it, the particular skill set that they were looking for to be part of that training? Well, eye-hand coordination, um, uh, ability to maintain situational awareness, um, uh, a mm, pretty good knowledge of mathematics and uh, uh, geometry, um, and uh, the ability to land the airplane, surprisingly, that was the thing that washed out more people than, than anything, is that they they just could not land the airplane mm-hmm. and uh, line it up on the runway and maintain an alignment on the runway uh, and then uh, figure out when to uh, start their uh, uh, approach and, and so on. So just learning how to land uh, was uh, the long pole in the tent for most most of the people. And then some of them uh, just decided they didn't want to do that. It was uh, scary, dangerous, whatever. And uh, they decided they'd rather do something a little more uh, mundane. And so where did you do your training then to learn how to to land planes like that? Well, I started out at uh, Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma. And uh, from there I went to George, well, there to Tucson and... uh, uh, spent six months there in uh, learning the, the aircraft systems, and then on to George Air Force Base in California to uh, learn tactics and uh, 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 basic maneuvering and, and bombing and so on. Mm. And then training continues regardless of where you are. Um, you you go into your first unit and you're still training and learning and uh, practicing and so on. So. Mm. You, you continue to learn mm-hmm. throughout your flying career. Did you have instances of landing and taking off from an aircraft carrier? No, no. No, okay. the Air Force doesn't do that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm just thinking again, so when you, you started into this training and now you just shared with us some of the different bases where you did that training, um, then you're getting sent off to be part of one of these armadas overseas. Yeah, I went to uh, uh, my first assignment then after all the schooling was uh, Eglin Air Force Base in Florida and uh, we put together a squadron to deploy as a squadron to Southeast Asia and we deployed to uh, Udorn Royal Thai Air Force Base in uh, Thailand and uh, then I spent uh, nine months there. Uh, it was either a year tour or 100 missions, and I finished my 100 missions in nine months. So wow. uh, did that. I had a total of 137 combat missions, 100 of which were over the north, and that was uh, 
the the uh, trick to getting home was to fly the hundred over the north. Hmm. So I did that, and then uh, came back and uh, went to George Air Force Base again, and then uh, uh, let's see. Then I went to uh, uh, um, I went to a Mountain Home Air Force Base, and in Idaho, and from there to Masao Air Base in Japan, and from there to Okinawa, and from there back to George again, hmm. and then. Uh, I got promoted, sent off to uh, Air Command and Staff College, and uh, and then to the staff in uh, Langley, Virginia. So that was my my penance for having flown for so long. <laughs> now, when you know that you flew 137 combat missions, mm-hmm. um, what is the the weight of that in your spirit? I mean, that just sounds. You know, I will never fly one. <laughs> so to imagine flying 137, I, I just don't know that I can get my mind around that. You, you wake up in the morning and they give you a mission and you go fly it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're 21, 22, 23 years old, you're pretty much uh, immortal. So uh, you don't think about what could happen, what might happen. Mm-hmm. You prepare yourself, of course, with the, you know, you have a... a survival vest with a, a weapon and uh, flares and, and bullets and, and so on. So you're prepared, but you're, you're going to come home and be just fine. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were times getting shot at where um, you um, maneuver to avoid uh, the area or the or the uh, weapon that's being fired at you. But again, you still just don't realize that it could be your time. Mm-hmm. Silly to think about anyway. How many people did you serve with that were close and personal friends that lost their life during those missions? Uh, we only lost one person while I was there in nine months. And uh, that was an uh, airplane right next to me that got hit with an uh, SA-2, a surface-to-air missile. Mm. And uh, the back seater did not make it out. The front seater did, mm. ended up as a POW and came back in 73. But uh, the, the back seater didn't make it. Okay. So with this Memorial Day coming upon us, you know, I'm thinking about people locally that can be remembered and I visited the Memorial Park here in Lakeland and there's a variety of different stones and different organizations local organizations that uh, sponsored them and just a few names have been uh, put there but it did mention with World War One that um, the number of people it was 1800 some people that enlisted at the beginning of that war hmm. and then acknowledged um, the numbers that had Uh, killed during the action. It says here that Robert J. Williams of Frostproof became the first soldier from Polk County to be killed in action during that war, joining 64 others who never came home. And we don't have the names of all those listed in that memorial park, um, but that would be one way to observe this memorial season is just to to give time and uh, some prayer and space to remember those who have lost their lives during service. When I was a kid growing up, I um, 
was growing up in Pennsylvania, and we had Memorial Day service in the local cemetery in the town with just 4,000 people. So there was just that one main cemetery in town. And I was in, a member of the band. So as a high school band member, we marched in mm-hmm. that parade and then would, would stand there during the uh, observance. And that that's my first real awakening to this um, this Memorial Day weekend. But then I know in meeting my husband's family that he actually has different people. He had a great uncle that served in Normandy and lost his life there. And then he has family members that um, live through, some served and some who died during the conflict between the states. Um, and that's really where this Memorial Day starts from that North and South conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just added some more weight and significance to yeah. the day. Yeah. So I just encourage anybody who's listening to this conversation to consider those that have lost their lives. If there are people that you know locally that um, have lost loved ones, maybe in a more recent conflict, um, that you can remember them, reach out to them, pray for them, and bless them. Certainly, certainly. Well, I thank you, Ken, for this time together. Anything else that you want to share for anyone who listens to this podcast? Um, I had a uh, great-grandfather who was in the uh, Indiana artillery during the Civil War, and two uncles who uh, served in World War II both came home. So uh, that I think this is probably the end of the line for military people in the Krause family. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let me say a prayer as we close today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lives that you've given us and the ways that we have responded to the call to service, um, whether it's through military service for our country or um, just the call of everyday life to the vocation to serve through the passions and gifting that you've given us to keep pointing people to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so with tender hearts and tender spirits, we come to Christ. God, guide us in our reflections, guide us in our observance of this Memorial Day season that we would continue to show your love and light and lift others up. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen.